Can we again turn to that portion of God's Word which we read together in the book of Exodus and chapter 20? And I would like for a short time this morning for us to focus our attention on the words which we find in verse 3. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I would like us to consider the first commandment. And uh, the first thing that we notice when we look at the commandments is that the pronoun that is used is the first person singular. It is thou. As we would say in Old English, there was a distinction between the singular thou and the plural you. It is speaking to us all as individuals, the law of God. Thou, you, shall have no other gods before me. The commandment addresses us all as individuals. And as individuals we are called to put God before everything else in this life. You shall have no other gods before me. As we will stand at the end of time at the bar of God's judgment as individuals to give an account for our works in this life, whether they were good or evil, we are addressed as individuals, God's law. It applies to each and every one of us. It is as though the law is given to us all by name. And this commandment is set before all others. The first commandment, to have no other gods before me. And it makes it abundantly clear that this is the place that God requires to have in the lives of each and every one of us. The living and the true God must be our only God. And we must have no other gods besides him. Remember when Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord. He said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like unto thee. The psalmist says in one of the psalms, Who among the sons of the mighty can be compared with the Lord? There is no God that is like him. And in our shorter catechism, there are three statements in the catechism relating to the first commandment. And the three statements deal with what the commandment requires of us what the commandment forbids and what is meant in that first commandment by the statement before me. The first commandment requires us to know and acknowledge God as our God. We must acknowledge him to be the only true God. And we must seek to worship him as our God. 
to glorify Him in our lives. And what does the commandment forbid? It forbiddeth the denying or not worshipping and glorifying of the only true God as our God. And it also forbids giving of that worship and glory that is due to God to any other. And we have these words in the commandment before me. Thou shalt have no other God before me. What does it mean? Before me. Well the first commandment teaches us that God who sees all things, who sees into our hearts, he takes notice and he is much displeased with this sin of having any other God or putting anything else in that place in our lives that God ought to occupy. You see, the teaching of Scripture is exclusive. The teaching of exclusivity, the exclusivity of God, it permeates the Scriptures from start to finish, from Genesis to Revelation. God requires worship from His believing people. And he requires not only worship, but he requires their exclusive worship. Our God is a jealous God. And he will not share his worship with any other. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Moses could sing, Who is like thee among the gods? Glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, the God who does wonders. And God testified throughout the Old Testament period, through the prophets, that there was no other God beside him, that he alone was God. The united testimony of the scriptures declares that there is but one God, the living and the true God. The God who is our creator, our sustainer, our ruler and our saviour. And we find that in the, when we look at the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, they are constantly calling the people of their day back from foreign gods. Calling them away from the worshipping of idols. And calling them to worship and revere the living God. You see, God demands loyalty. We see that in the first commandment. He desires our loyalty. He desires it and he deserves it. He will not have his worship mixed or shared with the worship of other gods, false gods. Remember Elijah. Think of Elijah. 
the prophet. When the people tried to mix the worship of Yahweh, the worship of the covenant gods, the true God, with the worship of Baal. We read about that in 1 Kings on chapter 18. Verse 21. 1 Kings 18, 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long will you halt between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Elijah made it clear that there was but one true God who should be worshipped. And he said this before them. If the Lord is God, worship him. If Baal is God, then worship Baal. And they didn't answer him a word. They were struck dumb. And then we find Elijah the prophet sets a contest to the priests of Baal. Remember how Elijah called them. And he sets this contest before the people that they will kill two bulls. Now there were 450 Baal prophets, prophets of Baal. And there was Elijah, the one prophet of the living God. And he sets before them this contest in verses 21 Onwards, we read in 1 Kings 18. Let them therefore give us two bullocks. And let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under it. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under it. And you call on the name of your gods. And I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. There is the contest. The 450 prophets of Baal will call out to their God. And Elijah, the prophet of the Lord, will alone call on his God. And the one who answers by sending fire. Let him be God. Elijah was to prove them. In their day. That one. With the Lord. Is the majority. One who fears the Lord aright. Is the majority. And we find in verse 27. All the prophets of Baal, that they cry unto their gods to answer by fire. At noon, Elijah mocked them as they call out on their gods. They call out, they cut themselves, and they howl and they cry to their gods to answer by fire. And there is no answer forthcoming. Elijah taunts them in verse 27. And he said, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he's talking or he's pursuing, 
or he's on a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth, and he must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves, after their manner with knives and lancets, till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. There was neither voice nor any answer to their prayers. The idols and the gods of this world can never answer prayer. And all of the efforts of their followers and of their prophets are in vain. And then we have Elijah. Elijah, the prophet of the Lord. And he calmly restores the altar. He repairs the Lord's altar. And he asks them to pour barrels of water upon the altar three times. And then in verse 36, he calls upon the name of the Lord. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Elijah the prophet came near and said, The Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and leaked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. You see, when the Lord acts and reveals himself, this is the reaction of men. They fall prostrate on their faces and acknowledge that the Lord is God. Elijah demonstrated that in his day to the people that God will not be mocked, that God will not share his worship with others. And they fell prostrate on the ground and they eventually acknowledged that the Lord Yahweh, he was the only true God. The God who answers by fire, let him be God. You see, Elijah set before them a clear question. He set before them a clear contest. And we see God answering in a clear way. That there is a God who hears and who answers prayer. There is one God who answers prayer, the living God. There is a true God. And besides our Lord, the gods of the nations are nothing. They are nothing. Now God requires worship from his people. He requires us to be devoted to him. But he especially requires worship from his covenant believing people. Those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. 
They have a particular reason to worship God. And God will not have his people sharing his worship with any other. He demands the devotion of his believing people, his covenant people. And this demand is based on who God is. What he is. What he has done as our creator and as our redeemer. The heathen that do not worship God are therefore guilty of idolatry. They set up gods for themselves, gods of wood, of stone. And the scripture tells us that the fool, the fool has concluded in his heart that there is no God. And that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. You see, friends, there is within man a duty to worship God. We have a duty to worship our Creator. That is why we were created in the image of God. And men must worship. It is in our nature to worship. And if we will not worship the God of the Bible, then they will worship something else. Men will worship an idol of their own choosing. They will find something that they will pass their time with. Maybe with gold or silver, money, gain. Others worship the sun and the moon. And in our society there are many this day who have no thought of worshipping the Lord. They spend all their time and energy on pleasure and the things of time. But friends, how often we see that when tragedy befalls them, the things that they devote their lives to will not give them any comfort. The things of time, the things of pleasure, will not provide them any comfort in times of tragedy and difficulty. There's 14 years this week since that great and tragic event that took place in America on September 11th. That awful day where we saw man's inhumanity to man when the planes crashed into the World Trade Center and all those people whose lives came to an end, countless numbers, at that time rushed to the churches of America because eternity was brought into their experience and was made to seem real. They were reminded of the frailty of man and the horror of evil. One of the headlines in one of the newspapers in America that week, on the front page of the newspapers was, God is back. God is back. As many began to think upon their own end 
and upon the frailty of life and the reality of the forces of this world. We must choose friends to put God first. We must first of all choose God to be our God. And before anyone will come to seek the Lord, they must have a knowledge of who God is. What God is. The God of the Bible. How does he reveal himself to us? We must know something of the attributes of God. His holiness. The God of the Bible is glorious in holiness. We must know something of this God. His mercy, his love. This God is rich in mercy. He is willing to save. He is rich in love. He evidenced his love to this world when he sent his own son to die in the place of sinners. The God of the Bible is faithful concerning his promises. He is always faithful to his people. And we must come to know him. The God of the past, he is presented to us in the word. We must come to him as he is in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where we see the nature of God when we look at his son. When we look at Christ. And we see his attributes. He revealed himself to us as man through coming into this world in the person of his son. And in choosing God as our God we must set him before us with this devotion that Joshua had. When he said, choose ye this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. And when God is our God, then we must worship him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And how do we worship him? Well, we worship him as a corporate gathering like we are this morning. But when God is our God, set before everything else, We worship him in our private lives. We worship him by praying to him and communing with him. By reading his word and singing his praises. We worship him in our homes, in our families. When God comes before everything else, we set him constantly before us. For the Lord our God, friends, is a jealous God. He will not give his glory to another. He will not share his glory with others. When we worship God, we are to reverence him. The seraphim who stood around the Lord, who stood around the throne of God, They veiled their faces because of his holiness. As a token of reverence of who he was. 
And why do we worship God? We don't worship God to benefit ourselves. We worship God because God deserves to be worshipped. Because of who he is. And when we worship this God, friends, we have the fear of God ruling in our lives. Now what does it mean to fear God? Well, when we have the fear of God, we have the Lord always set before us. The person that fears the Lord is aware that God is looking on us. The great judge is watching all our actions. He hears our thoughts, our words. When the fear of God is in our experience, then we do this not out of a slavish sense of fear, but out of a love that we will not offend our good and gracious and loving God. One of the early church fathers was called Anselm. And Anselm once said, If hell was on one side and sin was on the other, then I would far sooner jump into hell than jump into sin. Such was his fear of offending God. And such was his awareness of the awfulness of sin and how awful sin is in the sight of a holy God. You see, friends, sin is contrary to God. When we look through the commandments and we see what we are commanded not to do, It always tells us something about the character of of God. We are called to be like God. He calls us to put him first. He calls us to faithfulness because God is faithful. He says, thou shalt not kill because God is the one who gives life. He is the preserver of life. And every time we sin, we are doing what is contrary to the nature of God. Oh, it would be well for us if we had that spirit of Anselm. That we had that hatred for sin. That we would seek to live for God and to detest sin. As God hates sin. And when we have the fear of God reigning in our lives... Something else that will be evident is that the fear of man will be taken away. Think of the three, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Remember how they refused the command of King Nebuchadnezzar. They refused to fall down and worship the king's golden image. For they would not serve any other God but their own gods, the true God, the Lord. And remember how they told the king, 
that they would not worship his image. And if they were to be thrown into the burning, fiery furnace, our God is able, they said, to deliver us from that fire. He will deliver us from thy hand, O King. But if he doesn't, let it still be known unto thee, O King, that we will not serve other gods. We will not worship golden images which thou hast set up. Here were men who were not ashamed to put God first in their lives. Even when it came to being thrown into the furnace, they would not share the worship of their God with the worship of idols. What an example of obedience these three men were. Obedience to God's command to put him first in our lives. What an example they were of the fear of God. See, when the fear of God is there in the soul, it drowns out all other fears. When we have God as our God, we put our hope in him, we put our trust in him, we put our love in him, and we seek to go on in the life of obedience, fearing the Lord. Now it's not popular today to declare that there is only one true God. There's no other way to God but through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But friends, that's the gospel that was given to us. It's an exclusive gospel. And our God will not share his platform with any other. The gospel's claims are exclusive. And that exclusivity is designed so that the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ will reach out to the four corners of the earth, to every nation, kindred and people, that there is one God. A God who is willing to save to the uttermost. A God who deserves to be worshipped. A God who sent his son to die for men. It's on the basis of the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other God before me. That we must be prepared to declare. That there is a marked difference. Between the Christian faith and every other faith. (coughs) The claims of the gospel are exclusive. Our God will not share its glory with any other God. There is only one true God. The God of Elijah. The God of Shedrach, Meshach and Abednego. Our God. The Lord and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one who is all powerful. All holy. The answerer and the hearer of prayer. And he is the one who deserves our praise, our adoration and our worship. On account of his passion, his work, our God who is one God, three persons, 
Father, Son and Holy Spirit. One God. Now we all have our own temptations towards idolatry. In our day and generation, the great idols are materialism, intellectualism. And these two are worshipped as though they were gods. And as believers in Christ, we must always be resisting the spirit of the world and the spirit of the age. Christ loved his church. He gave himself for the church. And the church as the bride of Christ must keep herself free from all idols and idolatry. The commandments declare demands our exclusive worship of the Lord. There must be no other God before me. Before his sight. See, the first commandment, friend, reveals to us our duty towards God. The duty of man. And it condemns us all as idolaters. We stand guilty before God as we break each and every one of his commands. It calls us to turn from idols and to serve the living and true God. But as well as exposing our sin, exposing our weakness, the gospel and the law commands, commends to us the Lord Jesus Christ. For in the law we also, and the gospel, we have grace and hope. As it points us to the one who came to fulfill the law, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who himself is God. And who calls us to come to himself. That we might have life. And that we might have it more abundantly. Here, friend, is the dignity of God. He is our creator, our sustainer, and our saviour. As the Lord Jesus Christ calls us all this morning to look unto him. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. To this world that was lost in sin and idolatry. God sent his son to redeem the world. To offer life and hope. Friend, have you got Christ this morning? Have you got Christ as your Savior? Is he your all and in all? Is it in Christ that you live, that you move and you have your being? Is he your Savior? Is he your friend that sticks closer than a brother? Well, friend, if he's not... Is it not time that you called upon this God to save you? To deliver you from your sin? To be united to him as your God? And to set him before everything else? May God grant that he would give us the grace to seek the Lord. 
and to seek to live for Christ in our day and generation. Let us pray. <clears throat> Gracious and most blessed God, we thank and praise thee this morning for who thou art, that thou art our creator and our sustainer. We thank and praise thee, O Lord, for thy work in the world, and that thou hast not left us to ourselves, but that thou didst send thy Son into the world, that we might have life through him and through his giving of himself. We pray, O Lord, that thou wouldst reveal thyself to each and every one of us, that we might know thee as our God. And we ask, O Lord, that thou wouldst bless us as thy believing people, that thou wouldst reveal thyself to us more and more, so that we would seek to go on in this life, setting God before us, that we would show our day and generation that we fear the living God, Hear all the prayers of thy people and accept us in Christ, cleansing us from sin, for we ask all in his name and for his sake. Amen. Now there was a <clears throat> request that we would conclude with a Gaelic psalm. So we shall sing to God's praise <clears throat> in Psalm 119, and we'll sing from verse 97. Psalm 119 reading to sing at verse 97 in Gaelic. Ke inaving lounge, lounge to look to ye, most moanyoch ekahwa, our mesker huku glinkusho, let the Is tik sheikh mean a naichemot, huk chukusk gonkuyer, Vreek uraan er te hestjes neuf, tam smoanjachuk gukeer. Sjengisching in daar raan asjen. Keeneving leunt de wokse je, wo smoanjachuk achwa.
shall conclude his prayer. Gracious and ever-blessed God, we pray that thou wouldst go before us now for the remainder of this day, that thou wouldst keep us, O Lord, looking unto thyself, that thou wouldst reveal thyself to us, and that thou wouldst go before us now and accept our worship. Cleanse us from sin, for we ask all in Christ's name, for the sake of Amen.